There we go. Okay. okay. Fabulous. Jeanette Jiffkins from Onyx Legal. And today we have a request from Andrew to ask about how do you ensure that you're sort of further up the ladder of people being able to recover money if a business goes belly up? So the example he gave me is that there are a number of building companies here in Australia which are um, going into liquidation. And what that means is those companies are ceasing to trade. They owe more money than they have money coming in, which means that anybody who is owed money by them has to join a queue of other people to hope that they get some money and most likely won't. The way the process works in liquidation is that once a liquidator is appointed, they bring in whatever assets are available in the business and there's a whole lot of legal issues around that as to what they can claw back because some payments they can take back from other people. Um, Generally, they spend a huge sum of money doing all of that work and in the end, quite often people get cents in the dollar of what they're owed as opposed to all of the money they're owed. Now, there are lots of different ways that you can better protect yourself in these types of situations. One of the first ones, and in a call centre situation, which is what Andrew mentioned, um, what I would suggest is you get payment upfront for services. So, Many, many businesses and individuals are now used to purchasing online and when you purchase online, you're expected to pay before you receive what you're paying for. So if any of your services are marketed online, um, are offered in a virtual environment, so they're not products or services that are delivered you know, um, through customs or something like that, there is no reason why you cannot ask for money up front. And if you ask for money up front and it is paid to you before the services are delivered and then that company goes belly up, the services that have been paid for, you're most likely to retain that money. And then if you've been prepaid for any services that haven't been delivered, then you can refund that money, but at least you're not out of pocket. If you are a service provider and you have no sort of protections in place and the kinds of protections that people put in place, and we've actually just done this for a a client of ours that is a manufacturer, um, they just lost over $170,000 because a building company went belly up and they had been providing some, some products to that building company, obviously a lot of products to that building company. Um, We have assisted them in putting together a whole credit process. And what that is, is if someone wants to buy their products, they make an application, they have a credit limit, um, and this company wasn't enforcing their credit limits. So if you work in any sort of business that has a credit limit applied to your customers, enforce it. Don't let them have more products or services in excess of the amount of credit that you've given. Um, And for manufacturing space, we recommend that you um, look at your turnover, your average turnover with a client, and don't extend that credit more than what you would normally receive from them in in sort of one to three months. Once it goes past that, then you're really putting your business at risk by giving them more credit. And I know this is difficult for a lot of people because they go, oh, but if I change my credit terms, they're going to stop buying from me. Probably not. 
The cost of changing providers and learning the way a new provider works and their quality of their services, all of those sorts of things, um, they they don't, um, it's just too hard to, to make that shift and to do that, um, to change services. So be aware of that. Um, when any sort of uh, programs or education or anything like that that you offer online always get payment out first. Um, other sorts of ways of doing things are with a credit application process Generally speaking, people get director's guarantees when there's a company involved. If there's no company, you don't need a guarantee because the individual you're contracting with is going to be liable and personally anyway. Um, There are other things that you can put in place where products are involved. So where it is um, any sort of hard product, then there's different types of protection you can put in place. And in Australia, it's called a PPSR, which is a Personal Property Securities Register. So you can register something against that. You can't register for services on the Personal Property Security Register because it is for property. (laughs) So you actually have to have a hard product that you're delivering to them but there are different ways to protect hard products Um, you can register the lending of money or the investment of money so we had a client a couple of years ago who earned a vast sum of money working in the mines Um, so they did fly in fly out work and they they earned large sums of money and they for some reason, decided to invest speculatively. So they put some money into a company that was producing films. When they put that money in, it was protected by an agreement and that agreement um, had a provision in it that, uh, like a mortgage where they had to repay the money at the end of the investment period. So we were able to register on the personal property security register that interest. Now, that film production company went belly up however there is quite a lot of money in that company and it does look like our client will eventually get all of their money back however that company had a lot of people invest in it and our client mentioned to all of his friends who had also invested what we had done for him only one of his friends took that up and it's likely that our client who is what's called the first registered security holder is likely to get their money our the person they introduced to us the second client of ours is listed third or fourth on the list and they're likely to get their money back nobody else on the list is likely to get their money out back and all of their mates who were told about this opportunity and didn't take it up and could have spent a thousand dollars to protect their interest and they have instead lost hundreds of thousands of dollars because it wasn't protected. So the key messages here are if you are giving anyone credit for your products or services, have a look at how you protect recovering that money. What options are available to you and how do you put those options in place to ensure that If there is a queue of people wanting to recover money from someone, you're at the front of the queue 
and not part of the crowd just watching it all go belly up because that's where these other investors who did nothing are. They're part of the crowd. They're not going to get anything, zero cents in the dollar. But our client will probably get 100% of his money back. Um, so there are ways to protect your interests. Look at the way you charge money to that. Uh, you charge your products or services wherever you can charge up front. Don't wait for people to pay you. Um, in certain industries, there are rules around that. We're not allowed to do it unless we put money in trust. It's one of those things. Um, but wherever you can, get money up front so that you protect your interests and you're not queuing to recover funds you may never recover. Great. Thanks very much, Jeanette. On that, um, by the way, if anybody has any uh, questions, put your virtual hand up. Um, one of the things with providing services, uh, like in courses, etc. I learned a long time ago, you have to charge up front. If somebody books in for a course, they pay 50% of the time of booking and the remainder is paid 14 days before the actual course. And that's then put in a bank account where I leave it alone until after I've provided the service. That way, if I have to give it back, it's all there. And at the same time, once you've delivered training, for instance, there's nothing you can take back if they don't pay. And government organisations are some of the worst. So. Yeah, we've we've had a client who did that. Actually, they came to us. They had delivered a whole lot of um, education, and they were chasing the invoice six months later, and it was fifteen thousand dollars worth of education. And we just couldn't understand why they hadn't had it paid before they delivered the training. Hmm. That's why you know, I enforce that. I've had a few companies say, "Oh no, we pay afterwards," and I go, "No, I don't turn up if you don't got it all paid up front." And in every case, they're paid up front. Absolutely. Yes by your guns i Um, used to can i say i used to audit training providers and they had to charge up front yeah it was a requirement of their funding that'd be right uh, because otherwise you're not going to get it unless you can prove you're going to be able to pay yourself support what you're doing uh ray yeah jeanette very um informative got one question um when you're opening up a credit account with um your prospective client where does the personal guarantee fit into all this whilst one is dealing with a company and you can put a PPS in place, but what about a personal guarantee? Where does that stand? So a personal guarantee, the problem with a personal guarantee is you have to enforce it. So you have to actually go to court and you have to apply for the guarantor to pay you money. So you can write them a letter and say, Um, you've provided us with a personal guarantee. We're owed this sum of money. The person who owes the money hasn't paid it and therefore we're making a claim against you as guarantor. Please make payment within seven days and if they don't make payment, then you have to go to court to get the money out of them. And then once you've got the decision of the court saying, yes, they have to pay you money, then you have to enforce it. So it's, it's much more of a process, whereas if you've got a PPSR, for example, that's here in Australia. And in fact, it is called PPSR in New Zealand as well. Um, if you've got one of those in place and there's a liquidator appointed, you just present it to the liquidator and they have to take it into consideration as to who gets what money first without you having to go to court separately. Okay, thank you. Andrew. Um, in relation to debtors' insurance, um, some of the suppliers like Telstra and all that for Telstra wholesale and things like that are now taking out debtors' insurance or making 
uh, people with credit applications take debtors insurance and stuff. What is what's that? Is that worth? It? Okay, so I am not an insurance broker. I do work okay. with insurance brokers, and I highly recommend you have a really good conversation with a good insurance broker. Um, but it's not my area. Like I, uh, insurance is one of those things you can put in place to help protect your position. Um, but how debtors insurance work? works i don't know i'd have to speak to some of my broker friends and find out okay thank you is is there anybody here in connection with paulina kassoff mark can you do an introduction please for andrew thanks mate sorry sorry yeah she's a an insurance broker for just business insurance yeah she runs a uh, group called the uh, networking group uh, directory as well yeah, well, I was trying to avoid that, mate, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but that's one of the things I do like to mention is that we support other groups because when supporting other groups, they support you back as well. So that's why I like the way Joe does his work. Uh, Stuart? Oh, yes, borrowing other people's audiences. That's what that's called. <laughs> it's excellent. Uh, and so, um, look, uh, just, just on the payment upfront, um, and this is something that I've done forever and a day, Um and one thing that um, I've, I've really been strong on changing the wording when anybody from our team or anybody's communicating back with that payment, don't call it a deposit. A deposit infers that it's refundable. Now, if you're providing a service and uh, a great deal of service is actually uh, undertaken during that time, um, then if you know, people say, oh, well, look, I, I don't want it now, um, if it's called a deposit, then it could could cause could could actually cause some some things. <laughs> so uh, anyway, it's a communication thing, yeah, yeah. And absolutely, that's such a good point there, Stuart. Um, we usually recommend to our clients that if they're going to have a initial payment, it's always called the initial payment or the establishment fee or you know something that demonstrates the fact that you're putting a lot of work in and we've got a client who's a software producer and they they have been calling it a deposit for years and we keep saying to them, change it. You know, it's got to be an establishment fee or a setup fee or some sort of fee because the amount of work they put in place before they can do anything in terms of developing software is extraordinary. And they have had exactly the problem you're talking about, people saying, oh, well, I want my deposit back. It's not a deposit. You could also say first instalment or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we 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 just refer to it as a as a kickoff payment and install. Um, you know, it, you know, uh, that's right, an instalment payment as well. Uh, and then we have part payments as we go through, and that's you know, it's like, and we tell everybody this will happen. Then I have an onboarding session, and I say this is when the payments coming, so there's no surprises, and we can't move ahead until that next instalment, yep. until that part pay is, is paid. So, look, just everything Jeanette says, pure gold. Thank you very much. Just thought I'd throw that in too. So, Jeanette, you wouldn't add to it's a non-refundable deposit? Okay, so that's a whole different question and there's a whole area of law around that um, and it's <laughs> governed by the ACCC. So um, whether or not a deposit can be refundable, has rules and all sorts of things. So if you like, we can talk about that next week. Okay, so we'll go from non-refundable deposit to non-refundable setup fee or instalment. 
Well, you can't say non-refundable. That's your problem. Ah, it doesn't okay. matter what you call the fee. It's the refund part that you have problems with. Okay. So we'll cover that next time. I would say, yeah, it looks like it'll be a good thing to do next week. Okay, thanks very much. Rightio, thanks.